Welcome to Solutions from the Huddle, where we discuss meaningful business topics to add value to your efforts. Titus Bartolotta is a certified business coach that's often hired for one-on-one coaching, corporate training, and speaking engagements. Now, here's your host, Titus Bartolotta. All right, well, welcome everybody to Solutions from the Huddle. Man, you could be listening and watching anything in the whole wide world especially with like Netflix and Hulu and being on your couch, you've got so many options uh, and you tuned into me. Maybe that's because you heard this show is the best thing on the planet or you have maybe watched everything else and you have nothing better to do with your life than to watch this and listen to this. I'm going to take it regardless, no matter what it is and say, thank you for being here. And if this is your first time listening to the show, it's all about business and life topics. And we go find entrepreneurs local, regional, and even global uh, leaders and winners in all kinds of industries. People who have put forth the kind of determination and leadership to not just show up, but to win the day. And so we have an amazing guest that's going to talk to us and educate us, maybe even motivate us along the way. Before we get to our guest, we start the show the same way every time uh, we ask that you'll join us. But if you're driving, don't be cute and bow your head and close your eyes. We don't want to be responsible for any car accidents, but we're going to pray. So here we go. Lot of here. Lord, your we host thanks for, for all things, and we ask that you'll bless the show. I just wanted to thank you for tuning uh, bless in today. Our and if you want to stay involved and engaged involved. in the show, be Let sure to check out mouth all the major podcast channels by searching for Solutions Amen. from the Huddle. Amen. Thanks again for Okay, so our guest today is the former mayor of Cornelius right here in North Carolina, the former state senator for District 41. He's a former executive. Uh, for both IBM and Ernst & Young, actually a former partner for Ernst & Young, basically significantly more important and smarter than me on every level is who we're talking to. Our good friend, Mr. Jeff Tart, is on the program. How are you, sir? Hey, it's very well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Um, I want to. By the way, I do owe you the five dollars for reading that script I wrote for you. <laughs> yes, I will. <laughs> You can, you can, um, we can't meet in person, so you can do the, them, whatever the, demo. demo, there we go. Um, big shout out. They're not sponsors of the show, so Ouch. we're going to give them a hookup. Um, no, listen, I wanted to get into this because you have such a unique perspective, Jeff. You, you actually know what it is to run a town. And so many of us during the course of the crisis that we're taping this show in the midst of right now, which is COVID-19, a very serious, very important thing happening to the world. Um, but we're, we're just watching the news and we're just, you know, feeling what we're feeling and thinking what we're thinking. But most of us don't have the experience of what it is to run a town and represent a state. And, and you have that experience. Can you speak to some of the, the nuances of that uh, in the midst of us just watching from our couches? Yeah, I'm sure people want to get into all the politics. It, it's interesting because you see it on social media, particularly in particularly now and how people engage with the elected officials. And I would tell you, it's a little misrepresentative sometimes. You see the haters and the people that are ragging on elected officials and kind of armchair quarterbacking. You'd be surprised. It's a much smaller number of people than you would imagine. Uh, most of the people that are in elected office, and, and I won't say all of us, but most have a real servant's heart, all have a desire to help uh, the citizens in their community or county or state. They're trying to do what they think is the right thing to do. And part of what makes it interesting like life, everybody has sometimes 
very different perspectives on what solutions should be to common problems. Yeah, you know, it's about the most elegant way that I think that could have been said. I, I agree with that. My experience has been that most of the folks that take these positions, which by the way, don't pay a whole lot and people don't realize that, um, it's because they care. It's because they're trying to make a difference. And I think that's true even for the folks that I disagree with. Yeah, I think um, I think town commissioners locally around the Mecklenburg County area may make $5,000 for a year. I know the state legislators, people always, I loved one of the lines that said, well, if you had to make what teachers made, um, you'd really be doing your work much harder. And people don't realize state legislators make $13,951 a year for what's officially a part-time job, but most people are doing it full-time. Wow. Yeah, I mean, no, that's that's perfectly right there. And and I'd, I'd love to know what, if you were still in corporate America, mm-hmm. you know, you're overseeing Ernst & Young, a very successful, powerful company. You're overseeing IBM. You're in executive positions. Let's say you're still in those positions right now and you have sure. dozens or hundreds or more, thousands maybe even, and you're dealing with employees that are all over the state, maybe even through state lines. How are you looking at the, this as, as a corporate leader? You've sure. been there before. What if you were sitting in that chair yeah, right and, now? And I've still got two companies that I own, and I'm on boards of a few others. You know, it, this is oversimplified, but I think it still holds true. It, it's about relationships, and mm. it's about communications. And it's really important to share what you know as an executive in an organization, or even at the state level. Mm. Uh, that You stay in constant communications. Don't mislead people. Don't withhold information. If there's bad news, share it right up front. You need to engage people in the active management of the company at all levels. And, you know, in this kind of time of crisis, it's a little more bottom up than just top down. But people are concerned, people are fearful, and they want to know people are at the helm, are focused and working on the issue. Uh, You see that at every level. One of my favorite definitions, Titus, and when we talk about the difference between serving in corporate America or serving in public life or as an elected official. I love the definition of politics, and you can look up this, because everybody thinks of it as being smoke-filled back rooms, deals being done, pack money, dark money, all that (laughs) silliness. But at the end of the day, politics is nothing more than the art and science of managing a public body. So the difference is, you know, running a $10 million company uh, on my own or being a partner in a $14 billion global entity or whether you're running a 10 million dollar town budget for a small uh suburban community or you're uh, responsible and part of the team trying to develop and appropriate 23 billion dollars across the state you know there's not worlds of difference in those yeah no that's true Uh, you know what do you think um what do you think of right now the kind of responsibility that's laying on the governor of North Carolina. And and to be honest, and, and I'm not quite sure, I'd love for you to speak to this, but sure. I, I've heard a few people recently say, well, if the governor says we're open back up, what if the mayor doesn't think we should open up in our town? Or what if the mayor says we ought to open up sooner than the governor says? So I, I think citizens maybe, because this is so uncharted, I don't know that they know. <laughs> and and what, what do you think about that? I think those officials are like Governor Cooper. I mean, I think they make decisions they think are the best. But again, the operative word or the watch word for me, two words, 
are collaboration and balance. Mm-hmm. You really have to seek balance and you really need to be listening to lots of smart people around you. Uh, and that is, as you mentioned, other elected leaders in, in the state, whether those be uh, county board commissioners, whether those be town elected officials, you also need to listen to your business leaders because this has, this is not really a battle of epidemiology versus economics. They really both have to be at the table. So you need sound and great medical advice and expertise at the table, as well as strong business leaders. And the business leaders need to come from all aspects, uh, both from the people who are running large corporations, those running large healthcare systems, those running large finance systems, but you also need to hear from small businesses. And the small businesses I categorize as 10 million and less a year in revenue. Uh, That's 85% of all the businesses and employers in this state typically. And then there's another segment that we sometimes look past and it's what I call the micro businesses. And those are businesses with five or fewer employees. And in Mecklenburg County, if we don't pay attention to what the stay at home order has as an effect on these really tiny businesses, they're such a heart and soul of our uh, organization that we um, going to lose probably 1300 businesses if we don't open up uh, in mid-May. Yeah. We're, so we're talking with Jeff Tart right here, Solution from the Huddle. Um, you know, I, I'm a business coach, and so I deal with these micro business owners. Probably they make up a, well over 50% of my book of business. And I do have some larger corporate clients, but um, I know who you're talking about. I, I very intimately know about, you know, we, t- we tend to use the term solopreneurs, right? And, you know, right, sure. Onesies, twosies, maybe three. Um, and so the, the five or less employees in a lot of cases – two of those five employees are husband and wife. We're talking about that household is so dependent on this for everything. They're working 12 hours a day, five, six, seven days a week. And then something like this hits and it's devastating, you know, well, and and connectivity I, and interrelationships between a lot of those small businesses and suppliers to organizations a little higher up on the supply chain. I mean, right. they, they, that interdependency cannot be ignored. You can hurt so many people if you're not paying attention. Yeah, you know, and, and one of the things that I've been listening to, Jeff, and I'd love to hear your, your opinion on this and not trying to get you in any trouble, okay? But, I do um, plenty of that on my own. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, but so I'm trying to find the right way to word this. A lot of folks are not thrilled about the whole term. I, I'm not deemed essential, right? right? A lot of business, a lot of these micro business owners are thinking, wait a minute. Uh, yeah, maybe it's just me. Tom and Larry and the three of my, that's my whole company. And we've been fixing toilets, Sure. Um, but I've helped a lot of folks over the last 15 years of my business is what they're thinking, you know, make sure their toilets weren't clogged up or fit or replacing their floors or whatever, whatever they are. And, and, and a hairstylist right now. I mean, I, you know, I hate to sound, I probably don't have any authority speaking to that because you see my hairstyle, but, um, and I both. <laughs> but, but I know some hairstylist folks that are saying, you know, for me, making sure his and her hair looks good when they go to the office has been an essential part of my life and a, an essential part of my client's life for 15, 20 years. Why am I not essential today? And I don't know how to quite communicate to them. And I don't know that essential was the word. It invokes so much emotion, Jeff. What do you think about all that? Actually, essential, non-essential is an absolutely critical term because yeah. it's used by our governing bodies and our law enforcement agencies. Uh, essential businesses, non-essential businesses, this is a little background, is 
predominantly driven and defined by the emergency management departments, both at the county level and Mike Sprayberry as the director at the state level. So they set those guidelines and definitions. I know individually businesses that are trying to get categorized, that's typically done through the North Carolina Department of Revenue. And I believe out of maybe 4,000 businesses that started out as categorized as non-essential, it's sent uh, applications to be categorized as essential. About 85% got accepted. So they make a pretty good case. But, you know, that may be one of the hardest areas that we're experiencing right now through the stay-at-home orders under the COVID-19 experience is the application of essential and non-essential. And I think that's what gets everybody, you know, gets a burr under your saddle. I mean, when you have, why is the ABC stores open and yet the sheriff's offices are closed? Uh, uh, Why do they go home? Uh, At least not reporting into the sheriff's office itself. Why Why is going and you're able to buy a sponge at Lowe's or Home Depot uh, you can't in some cases, but you can get a lottery ticket um, and walk up at a convenience store or a gas station. I mean, we have to have more common sense applied to what is an essential, non-essential. Uh, we see grocery stores now uh, roping off aisles because they're saying you can't buy sugar and flour and or cake mixes because b- baking a cake is not an essential uh, food or resource that you need right now. Well, who gets to determine that? I mean, you know, it, it's just the silliness of it is what gets everybody, like I said, just going bonkers. Yeah. So I feel like you're reading my interview notes uh, because I was going to make some of those points. And I think that so many of the people in the community, when they feel like they're not being heard, right? And, and I oftentimes will say this from stages when companies bring me in, I'll say there's really the three most fundamental core basic human needs, Jeff, um, whether I'm doing business or life coaching matters not, they, they're the same. I wanna be heard, I wanna be understood, and I wanna be loved. Like just every human at some fundamental level, the way they wanna be loved or heard or understood might, might vary. But the basic core elements of humanity says those three things. And when we don't feel heard, understood, or loved, then we get argumentative and combative and maybe even, God forbid, violent. So how does a mayor mayor or a senator manage something so intimate, even though he maybe can't touch all of his constituents? I think there's three aspects that go hand in hand with those attributes that elected officials need to practice. One is being thoughtful. Uh, and, and, and that thoughtful kind of carries a consideration, being considerate, but it's also then being pragmatic. You need to step back and say, apply a little common sense, which is oftentimes in short supply in elected <laughs> officials. And then uh, last, as you go through, you know, hopefully being pragmatic and, and thoughtful is that you're also respectful. And I tell you, nothing will hack off somebody than disrespecting them. Oh. Uh, and so being respectful really deals with recognizing, and we've become so polarized and so identity uh, focused uh, that you need to step back and say, I can respect somebody who has a completely different opinion or point of view than I do. And that's that idea that we're going to have different ways of coming at solving a problem. And it doesn't mean name calling and stuff. You can, 
it's the kind of classic thing they get taught about dealing with particularly younger children. You know, you don't tell people they're stupid. Now their idea or action you may believe stupid, but that doesn't mean the person is, right? And, yeah. and it's a hard thing to get in the habit of treating people respectfully. And right now with stay-at-home orders, the tensions rise with the incongruity of how essential and non-essential is applied. Uh, it is really imperative uh, that we practice trying to be thoughtful and respectful and pragmatic in how we move forward. Yeah, I think our listeners right now hopefully can take note of that. I mean, if you're running a small business, a medium business, a big business, uh, to be thoughtful, pragmatic, and to demonstrate common sense, you know, and, and to be respectful. These are things that uh, Jeff's talking about. I mean, we're talking about a guy who was the mayor of a town, uh, a guy who was representing the legislative body, you know, relative to an entire state. And then in a, in a high level, C-level position of leadership in major, major corporations and really boiled it down to three things. Uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, really speaking to people no matter where they are, but to do it in a way that, that they can all relate to. I want to find out what your thoughts and feelings are on, on maybe what's not being talked about enough in the midst of all this. And we're seeing domestic violence increase. Sure as people are stuck at home with who are their abusers. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, seeing, uh, we're seeing people that generally need to go to AA meetings, not being yeah. able to do that right now. And that might be what's really provided decades of sobriety. Sure. Uh, we're seeing people of faith not be able to perhaps participate in certain elements of that faith. We're seeing folks feel that their First Amendment rights, uh, you know, just says you get to peacefully assemble uh, is, right. is not happening. And the emotional and anxiety, I mean, there's a lot of psychiatrists. Dr. Phil's starting to get on every TV show now talking about it. What are your thoughts on the things relative to the isolation of humanity? Yeah. I mean, there's no question as human beings, we're social animals. And almost everything we do has a social aspect to it. Uh, in some ways, people say this is harder for the uh, extroverts, but that's not necessarily true. I think the introverts, yes, they get uh, a way to recharge the battery by having some down and alone time, uh, but they don't want to be in an isolation chamber uh, for the next three months either. I think what we see is, you know, the advent and the increase of tools like what we're using right now. I mean, I wish I had some stock ownership about three months ago. <laughs> That's, right. That's, right. That's <laughs> but, right. But I, you see different groups. I mean, we're doing it within our family and things. So our church, because we, we go to church, you know, 40, 45 weeks a year. So that's changed dramatically. But we, we've been meeting our pastors lead online uh, worship services. Uh, you're able to engage. We have a Bible study class that meets every Tuesday night. There's about a dozen of us. We get on Zoom. Uh, we just started a, uh, my wife's family, we're going to do a once a month family get together with about 60 of us all over the country using Zoom. Um, yeah. And there's other medias, whether it's Skype, Microsoft Teams, if you're in the business environment more so. So you're seeing people change how they interact and even conduct not just business, but their personal lives. And we'll see more of that. Some of that will be inculcated into how we move forward in interacting with people, sure. you can't hide in a closet. That's not healthy for anybody. And, and, you know, the other side, I think this has done a little bit. It's created time where 
we're not completely buried on TV because there's only so much of that you can do or electronic games and that, but it's an opportunity. I've started seeing people reach out, you know, pick up the phone and talk to somebody you haven't talked to in months or years, you know, pick one person a day and just out of the blue call them, hit them with LinkedIn, hit them with a Facebook post. Um, old high school people that I haven't seen for a long time were touching base or old business colleagues. So I think those are all good ways for us to stay connected as we go through this process. Yeah, that's smart. My, um, my wife, you know, has kind of uh, put out there for ladies, hey, if you're, um, my, my wife and, and, you know, she tells her story and she'll communicate that she has seen some of those domestic violent things through family members or through childhood sure. watching it, so on and so forth. So it's a very important thing for her. And, and, and my mom dealt with it for about six months and, uh, and then left. But um, so my wife has kind of put out in social media, hey, ladies, if, if you ever publicly post, if I see you post, who knows of a good cookie recipe? Right. I'll know that's code for let, let the police know. Um, what, what do you think about that aspect, though, of people that feel trapped and, and maybe, you know, maybe they don't feel maybe maybe going to work was was there a way to not be trapped? All the things you're saying is excellent. I get it. But still the, the detachment, do you think that, do you think that um, there should be something that our local government is doing, whether it's having cops friendly and politely and respectfully kind of travel through neighborhoods, knock on doors and, and just say, Hey, is everyone okay? Is there anything we could be doing to make sure that folks are safe while they're in their homes? Well, I think you're even seeing that down to even some of our healthcare organizations as we've gone to virtual hospitals, virtual office visits, uh, particularly people that have had COVID uh, or testing positive, they're getting assigned healthcare providers to stay in touch because both the physical abuse, but also the health abuse or the lack thereof of care is to be touching out, reaching out. I think it helps with the elderly. Uh, if you've got elderly neighbors, you know, give them a call, get on and check on them, knock on a door, even though we're supposed to be staying at home. But there's, you know, if you're looking at elderly family members, we're all allowed to do that. Wear a mask, yep. uh, wash your hands after you go back to your house. But yeah, check on these people because the elderly are the ones most exposed. If you've got a loved one in a nursing home or a prison, even those are our two hot spots. Uh, 20% of all the deaths in North Carolina have happened in nursing homes. In some states, it's it's over thirty percent, so it's they're problematic, and the prisons as well. Prisons are having high incidence uh, of COVID uh, exposure for some of the inmates, and a lot of these inmates aren't like murderers and things like that. A lot of these people have done blue collar crimes or you know very low uh, felonies that they're they're not a danger to anyone, but they need contact and and ability to reach out. So there's a lot of folks that we need to be doing and looking out for. And that starts one in the neighborhood, somewhat in the community and do it on a longer distance by using the phone. So Jeff, let's get you in trouble. Um, okay. Fire away. Here if, we go. If, if, you were, if you were the governor, would you have shut us down? And, would, and, and, and if you did, would we still be shut down right now? Well, I've written a piece in the North state journal recently. That was an op-ed piece, which is a statewide newspaper. The answer is would I have shut us down. Maybe. That's a good political, that's more of my consulting on me. <laughs> but uh, based on the data, probably, but for a short period of time, probably not as long as we have. 
Uh, there's lots of models, so you look at the models and data. The University of Washington says we started peaking today. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania model says we don't peak till mid-June. I've seen some material both from UNC and Duke, as well as from a mathematician at Queens uh, College that said uh, we are definitely going to be peaking here in the next week or so. Bottom line is the governor's uh, current stay-at-home order expires on April 29th. I don't think I would lift it. So we've only got about nine more days. I absolutely, based on the data I have today, unless it drastically changed, I would not extend it. There is no need. The big thing people need to hear that we confuse, we get to, we tend to be all or nothing. Mm. You know, it's either we're totally locked down in a sense, we're in stay at home, uh, the, what I call the COVID hygiene, social distancing, gathering limits, washing hands, all those things, masks, or no, you can just go back to doing totally normal. It's not going to be either one of those. We, we can gradually reopen the economy. There's businesses now that can operate. We're doing it. We have home improvement centers. We have yard guys. We have uh, grocery stores are our best case example because they cannot close. We have to eat. But we gradually move people back in and businesses to be, have to be allowed because we're going to put people out of business and bankrupt families, uh, which we can't afford to do. The nursing homes, as I mentioned, and prisons have to keep very tight controls still. Uh, nursing homes probably won't be able to reopen. And when I say reopening a nursing home, where you can have visitors and free flow of people in and out of those facilities, uh, they may not happen until fall. Uh, but I think the thing that stays in place are those what I call COVID-19 hygiene rules. We need to probably maintain social distancing for some time. We need to make maintain gathering limits. Uh, they probably can expand a little bit. Uh, we'd see what we do at churches and restaurants and retail outlets. Some of the states are already starting to do that. And then we got to keep uh, pay attention to the numbers as testing for antibodies and so forth uh, become available. And they're starting now. New York's kicking off. They're going to do over a thousand people, but we need to do that kind of rigorous testing. We need to stay attuned to the numbers. So we make sure cases, you know, and deaths are declining, but evidence definitely demonstrates to me, we do not have to stay in an absolute lockdown, at least in North Carolina, probably after the 1st of May, but there will be restrictions that do need to stay in place. How do you, uh, how do you think the administration's doing right now? The, uh, again, I'm, the next couple of sure. questions were intended to get you in trouble. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do you, well, well the real you, question is ask me on the 29th. Uh, because if the governor extends the stay at home, I think he's got massive problems because I, I'm sorry. I meant, I meant, uh, the white house. I'm sorry. So, so, oh. so here's, here's where you get sure. to, uh, you know, you don't need to endorse Trump or not endorse Trump, sure. but just as a general rule sure. and, and not his entirety of being president, just sure. in this particular dealing with this crisis, how do you think our, our official federal government's doing? Well, here's the thing. It's so easy to armchair quarterback. And, you know, one of my favorite lines before I answer that is people saying, well, why didn't we start stockpiling and making, um, if you will, the vaccine for this disease so it would have been prepared? Well, how do you make a vaccine for something that doesn't exist yet? Yeah. You can't. So, I mean, we get into absurd things that we think can happen. Uh, did the administration react soon enough, way too late? You know, I, I think most of the governors and, and the president are working on the best available information. And, and if anybody thinks Trump's making all these decisions on his own, 
politely, you're brain dead. Uh, <laughs> he's listened to every expert he can. He's not making decisions without that medical advice. And, you know, you listen to Dr. Brooks, you listen to Dr. Fauci, but those aren't the only two. I mean, you've got a cadre of experts. I know he just recently put together a COVID-19 team to look at reopening. Uh, that's got probably 20, 30 experts on it. And again, you're looking at business people, you're looking at epidemiologists, you're looking at healthcare professionals, you're looking at the business aspect, you've got CEOs from large corporations and banks and so forth in this group. I mean, you're trying to get as, and gather as much information that you believe from credible sources that's as accurate as possible and you make the tough decisions. And as one partner, uh, managing partner taught me when I was at Ernst & Young, the more difficult the decision, the less time you have to make it to the point of critical decision you need to make in 24 hours because there's so many ripple effects uh, of other decisions that are dependent on you making that first major decision. Then they can go make their decisions and execute. And if you wait too long, it pushes things up. And the key is if you end up and you're off path, either a completely stupid and bad decision or a slightly varying decision as the data change, you change your decision. You have to do that based on the information that presents. That doesn't mean you're locked into one course. So yeah, I think Trump's done actually an exceptional job doing this. I think the governors across all 50 states generally are doing exceptional things. Uh, again, can we find fault with things? Absolutely, all the time. But again, nobody's trying to hurt anybody. Nobody wants a stranger to die. I see that kind of nonsense posted in social media. That's absurdity. Everybody's trying to keep people safe, try to keep people healthy, and also allow them to earn a living and take care of their families. Yeah, I want I want to poke at that a little bit more and, and ask you to go deeper on what I call the art of walking something back and sure. what people crucify politicians for being flip floppers. I want sure. to ask you a little bit more about that uh, right on the other side of us saying some quick thank yous here. We just want to say thank you to some of the folks that support this show uh, that sponsor us and let me go on really fancy trips. No, I'm just kidding. But MS Digital Solutions do a wonderful job in our community. Websites, IT, social media services, MS Digital Solutions. Speedy oil change, both in Pineville and Spartanburg. Our good friends, Rockbox, Riverwalk in Rock Hill. Mobile Smash Rooms right here in Lake Norman and CET Computer Magic. Also, this show is powered by Easy Living Technologies, an audio video company that's helping you stay connected. Okay, so what I really love that you just said was that you can change your mind. And you know, when someone flip-flops and they go, Ever, I believe we should go right. And then a couple of years later, they go, wait a minute, I think we should go left. We crucify that person. Sure. But I'm, as a coach, Jeff, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I've been teaching owners and leaders and, and, and individuals who follow, who are employees of companies, that it is the most brilliant, strong position to say, you know what? I was wrong. Or I thought I was right based on the information. Or I was right then and things have changed. And so I've got to change. Why do you think that we live in such a culture that demonizes and crucifies somebody for being mature and responsible enough to say, uh, let's, let's change, let's pivot. Why is the word pivot and shift really sexy and attractive sometimes, <laughs> but a pivot and a shift is demonized other times? And then it depends on the circumstance. 
and how quickly you're doing it and do you have a basis for that shift or change it's one thing to say i made a bad decision based on the same information that i had a month ago a week ago and today and that information hasn't changed but my point of view has changed so there has to be a basis and that's a harder one to quote get people comfortable that i've done a 180 degree shift with no other factor or change but one of my favorite examples when the information change if you don't change with that uh then you can create bigger problems than just because i want to say oh i didn't i didn't want to change my mind and the best analogy i have is let's assume you pick up a newspaper tomorrow morning on the headline of the newspaper it says uh inmate on death row dna evidence finds him innocent mm. then you go to the uh, board of uh, prisons and stuff and they convene the parole board and they go no we're going to execute him we already made that decision oh. what would you think yeah what a great point and so you've got to be able to adjust and be big enough to say no the data has changed holler at me if you want but it, it is a completely different decision that is now required based on new information. If we don't do that, we're pretty shallow people. And we'll end up hurting things, potentially. Yeah, Jeff Tart, former executive with Ernst & Young, IBM, former mayor of Cornelius right here in North Carolina, former state senator, District 41 uh, for North Carolina. Jeff, um, what if you walk it back and nothing changed except you realized you were just wrong? I mean, that's probably one of the biggest punches in one's stomach, but I gotta tell you, I, I, I think I could make a case just about every time in human culture where we look at the person that says, I was just wrong. I'm sorry, I apologize. Um, you know, we, you and I have a mutual friend in John Bradford who, uh, who did a, a really wonderful video uh, relative to uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick. And, and he kind of said, hey, listen, Colin, chances are you might have at some point realized I probably could do this differently. And I remember John making this video saying, you just walk it back. You know, you're, you're totally, you have your principles. You just simply go, you know what? I probably should have done it this way instead of that way. My bad, I'm sorry. But we get so far down the path when it's really hard to do a U-turn. But what about that? Well, what words of advice can you give to somebody that just says, you know, the, the situation hasn't changed, but, but I just flat out realized I was wrong and I'm so embarrassed and I can't get over that emotion. So I just keep going the wrong way. How do yeah, we not make that our reality, Jeff? It, it's, it's a common thing that exists, obviously. Max Bazerman, who's a professor at the Kellogg School at Northwestern, mm -hmm. does something he calls the $20 bill auction. Yeah. And it's where we have emotional buy-in and can't change the decision because, for various reasons that don't allow us to apply rational logic. Mm -hmm. So it's that irrational logic that takes over in those. Because the easiest thing to do, and as you said, the hardest is just go, Raise your hand and said, I made a mistake, I'm wrong. At that point, there is no defense, <laughs> counter argument you can get. Okay, he's, he's admitted he's wrong. Uh, and I usually like to start out by saying and disagreeing with how you introduced me. I mean, I'm a flawed human being. I make mistakes, gonna make more mistakes. I mean, we yeah. do going forward. So expect them and then we adjust and make new and hopefully better decisions going forward. What's one or two decisions that you've made that you, you um, wish that you'd have done it differently 
this could have been political. This could have been through corporate, right? Uh, this is where you get to maybe lead by example and show, hey, you know what? I just said it's possible. Now you get to get do it. But maybe something that you uh, you haven't taken a public stance where you told the whole world, you know what? I did this thing in Ernst and Young, or I did this thing at IBM, or I did this thing running Cornelius or States or whatever. I'm sure that, I mean, and you are a massively, and I know you, massively successful person, highly intelligent, love God, community person, family person, you know, politically folks can make all kinds of comments and throw stones, sure, and, sure. but if they haven't had lunch with you like I have, and if they haven't had a coffee with you like I have, then they don't know the man like I know the man. So I know you're a good man, but I also know you've, you've probably made a mistake or you said something or did something you wish you could have walked it back. Is there one or two that's not too crazy that you feel comfortable sharing? No, what we need to do, and this will require, is that we have a second show. So okay. it take just the, an hour to go through the long litany of things I've screwed up in life. You come back anytime you want. The, uh, you know, there's things you get into how you handle uh, people in certain situations, especially in a public perspective. I mean, I remember one in office. This is probably my second term, and we had a person who basically pushed her way into my office, pushed my intern, shoved her down uh, to get into me. And then it's filming all this stuff. And I just went and get the Sarah Charnas of arms. I should have been a little more polite and uh, not told her what I was doing or asking her to leave. But, you know, at the time I was reacting to how she treated other people. And then they spin it and stuff. And you go, okay, I can live with that. But I'm not going to live with people treating my staff a certain way. Uh, can you handle those situations? Yeah, probably better. Um, cause you tend to just react at the moment. Uh, there's decisions, you know, on taking care of your kids, taking care of town staff, taking care of business colleagues that maybe you wish you would have stayed in contact or, or handled an evaluation differently or handled a client differently. We, we've got a litany of those. And I tried to, and I've done it on social media. I've tried to say, hey, in case, hey, I made a mistake. I published the wrong, had the wrong information. So walk it back and say, eh, sure. wrong. Or, or take that off and let people know. I think it's really important because it goes a long way, like you said, to be able to raise your hand and say, okay, yeah, that's a mistake. And most people get, well, not most people, everybody knows we all make mistakes and do things yeah. we wish we'd have done differently or better. This yeah. is part of, it's part of life. Here's how I want to end the show. What's next um, for the folks that are fans of Jeff Tart that are listening? Um, we get folks across the country. We get thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners. For the folks that are already fans that might want to know what's Jeff doing? Is he going to be running for office? Is he going to be starting a local business? Is he, what's he going to be doing? Uh, for the folks that don't know you that are just intrigued by a successful sure. man that's got good insight, what's the next thing we ought to keep our eyes and ears open for about, relative to Jeff? Well, I got my fingers in a lot of pies. I'm working with a lot of the elected officials and trying to help our local residents and even some from around deal with some of the issues that they're dealing with from the COVID situation to help navigate kind of the red tape and the bureaucracy, knowing how to kind of get around things at the state level and the county level. So trying to put people together from that perspective. Uh, just one example, we were able to source about 100,095 masks for a local nursing home and for our local health hospital. Uh, that they were having trouble getting their hands on. Big thing that we're working on is something called the Healthcare Collaborative. It is, uh, we just got our not-for-profit status, uh, working with a lot of the health systems in the region, a lot of very bright people in different areas, a lot of elected officials, some of our corporate leaders. 
And that entity initially is going to be uh, focused on using predictive analytics for early identification of cancer. Mm. So predictive analytics for early identification of cancers. And we will expand that across kind of the disease spectrum. Eventually we'll use it for diabetes. We'll use it for asthma. We'll get in. Potentially it could be used for COVID-19. So it's a group of people that will be using artificial intelligence, machine learning, um, technologies as foundations, doing big data analytics around this with health data initially almost as a population health management initiative for uh, the Lake Norman area, expanding into kind of the whole Charlotte metro region. We're looking at doing this uh, a cohort on firefighters, which would take us statewide for that cohort and then potentially take it nationally. We've got, again, major healthcare providers, academic uh, medical centers and others engaged with us. Wow. How, how can somebody, what's the website? How do they learn more about that or support? Um, you know, I should, I, I should know the website, um, but you can go, go Google us and find us. It's again, the Healthcare Collaborative, which is actually our legal name. Uh, don't know how we got in so early and snuck by that, but yeah, that's us. I love it. Well, Jeff, thanks so much. I hope you'll come back to the show. We really appreciate you. Uh, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for you being such a source of sharing information and such a positive uh, beam of light in our community and all the good things that you do to provide hope for so many folks. Thanks, Jeff. I appreciate it. Take care. Have a great day. You have a good one. Thanks. Hey, guys. Titus Bartolotta here, your host for Solutions from the Huddle. I just wanted to thank you for tuning in today. And if you want to stay involved and engaged in the show, be sure to check out all major podcast channels by searching for Solutions from the Huddle. Thanks again for your support. We hope you come back.